Um, So tonight, we are continuing our talk series from the book of Hebrews called Jesus is Better. And as we've seen the last few weeks, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who in the midst of their persecution and hardships are tempted to resort back to their former ways of Judaism. And so, so far in our talk series, we've seen that Jesus is better than the prophets, better than the angels, in a better rest. And tonight, we will be seeing how Jesus is a better high priest. But before we jump in, let me ask you something. When you were younger, what were you afraid of? Maybe it was the dark, or maybe it was losing a parent in the grocery store. Well, for me, I was scared of people dressed up in costumes. Yeah, here's some other people. And so in case you need proof of that, here's a picture of my brother and I with the Easter Bunny at the mall. (laughs) Yeah. Do you see the death grip on that sucker and my mom's hand also in there? Um, Just for fun, here's a close-up. Yeah. Um, Also, if you notice, I have a perm in my hair in that picture. Uh, My grandma's a hairdresser. She's actually here tonight. And so I, I come from a family of women who have big, beautiful hair. And so I was trying to fit into the family. So that is why... My hair looks like that. Uh, So for whatever reason, I was terrified of people dressed up in costumes. Um, And so one year at Christmas time, an older gentleman who appeared to be Santa Claus walked into my grandparents' house. So, whew, you know I was about to run. Um, So when I saw Santa Claus, great fear overcame me, and I took up. But then I noticed... He resembled someone I knew. And then I heard the sweet, familiar voice of the man dressed in red. And as I looked closer, I realized it was my grandfather. And when I noticed it was him, I wanted to run right into his lap. And in that moment, I had a wrong perception of my grandfather. I perceived him to be mean, but in reality, he was really a kind man and really sweet. So maybe you've never been scared of people in costumes, but maybe it's scary for you to approach someone after you've hurt their feelings or done something that would make them lose their trust in you. And I think it's true that we view God like this. We are fearful to approach him because, to be honest, we're not sure what his response will be to us. How often do you avoid God when you haven't been walking well with him? You haven't opened your Bible in weeks, maybe even months. Would he really want to talk to you now? You just did that sin again, that sin you swore you'd never do again. There's no way God would, want, would take any delight in seeing you now, would he? We've all found ourselves afraid to approach God. So in my younger years, while being scared of the man dressed as Santa, 
You see, everything changed for me when I understood who the man actually was, though. When I realized that he was my loving grandfather, it gave me the confidence to draw near to him, to sit on his lap, and to enjoy time with him, knowing that I was safe with him. And in a similar way, because of our wrong perceptions of Jesus, we fail to see that he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses and sin. And rather than approach his throne, we stay far away and hide. But tonight, we will see that because Jesus is the better high priest, we can and should draw near to him to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Would you pray with me? Lord, um, I asked that you would teach us so much about your son, Jesus, tonight. And as a result, would we love him more and we, would we draw near to him? Amen. So tonight, I want to give you four reasons why Jesus is qualified to be a better high priest whom we should draw near to. So if you have a Bible with you, would you please get it out and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. So at the end of crew, please come down to um, either ends of the stage and take a Bible home with you. We'd love for you to have that. And so now, before we talk about why Jesus is qualified to be a great high priest, you might be wondering, what is a high priest, and why is it such a big deal that Jesus is a better one? So let me tell you a little bit about the high priest. So Aaron, who was Moses' brother, was the very first high priest, which we read about in the Old Testament. Many years later, a temple was built in Jerusalem, and it became the hub of Jewish religious activities. And at the time in which the book of Hebrews was written, there were still sacrifices occurring at the temple. And you see, in the innermost part of the temple, there was a room called the Holy of Holies. And God permitted the high priest to enter into this room once a year on the Day of Atonement. And having made a sacrifice for himself and for the people, he then brought the blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat, which is also called the throne. He did this to make atonement for himself and the people for all their sins they had committed in the past year. So the author of Hebrews knows that the people he's writing to view the high priest as someone important. Many looked to him as a rescuer of sorts because he functioned as the main representative between the nation and God. And so now that you have a little bit of the background about the high priest, let's jump into our passage. So let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the, our first reason why Jesus is qualified to be a better high priest is because he is able to sympathize with us. And so what in the world does that mean? 
Well, it means he has compassion for us, that his tenderness for us, that he feels sorry for us, even aches for us. During Jesus' time on earth, he was subjected to the same kinds of trials that we face. He was hungry, he was physically exhausted, he was sad. Not only did Jesus experience these weaknesses, but verse 15 says that Jesus is able to sympathize with us because it says that he was tempted in every respect. So you may be asking, are you telling me that Jesus was tempted to cheat on a test? Or speed while driving his car? Um, or tempted to look at pornography on the internet? Or had a jealous thought when he saw a picture on Instagram of a group of his friends hanging out and he wasn't invited? Well, no, those things didn't exist in the first century in the Middle East. But although the expressions or tools of sins have changed since the day of Jesus walking around on earth, sin's essential nature remains the same. Dishonesty, impatience, lust, jealousy, just to name a few. The sins that tempted Jesus are the same sins that tempt us today. They just have different expressions. And although Jesus was tempted just as we are, verse 15 continues by saying, yet he was without sin. How incredible. Now, you may be inclined to think, well, because Jesus never sinned, does he actually know what we go through as we face temptation? Well, think of it this way. Someone who gives up in the first mile of a marathon doesn't know how difficult it is to run a marathon. Only someone who's run the whole marathon knows the difficulty of it because they have endured it all. You see, Jesus knows how hard it is to run the whole marathon, so to speak. He knows way more about temptation than we do. He battled the temptation to sin hundreds of times a day for 33 years. Author C.S. Lewis put it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation really means. In the garden on the night before Jesus was hung on a cross, we see a crucial point in Jesus' life when he was tempted. Jesus was tempted to turn his back on God's will. We see in Luke 22, 42, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in all of this, we hold the tension that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Wrap your mind around that, right? So because Jesus is God, he could not sin because he had no desire to dishonor God. But because he was fully human, he was able to completely understand 
our temptations to turn to sin. And so I want to ask you, how encouraging is it for you to know that we have a better high priest who has suffered with us and understands what we're going through? That Jesus has felt the tug of temptations just like we do. And the high priests who made sacrifices in the temple were also able to sympathize because they were human, but unlike Jesus, they gave in to temptations and they sinned. And therefore, they were not the perfect representatives to represent us and be our mediator between us and God. And this leads us to our second point. Because Jesus is sinless and does not have to make sacrifices for his own sin, he made a single sacrifice, one sacrifice. Now let's read Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Now, when the earthly high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to enter into God's presence and to make a sacrifice, everyone would hope that they would come out alive. If they were not pure enough, the high priest could have died by their encounter with God's holiness. And so that's why the high, earthly high priest had to make a sacrifice for their own sin before they could make a sacrifice for the nation of Israel. But because Jesus is a better high priest, he doesn't have to purify himself. So we see that he doesn't make this sacrifice for his benefit, but for our benefit. Now we can all think of times that someone made a sacrifice for us and that person maybe benefited from it. And we definitely appreciate those kinds of sacrifices. But when someone makes a sacrifice for us and all they experience is a great loss, we think, wow, that's truly got to be love. And this is how it is with Jesus. This truly has to be love. And this makes this high priest, someone so worth approaching and not hiding from. So I'd love to ask you, how does it make you feel that Jesus made one sacrifice for your sins? Not for his benefit, but for yours. Our third reason why Jesus is qualified to be a better high priest is because he is appointed as the eternal son. Let's continue reading in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 4 through 10. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe in him, to all who obey him, excuse me, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The earthly high priests, they could never say, hey, I'm going to decide to make myself a high priest today. No, it didn't work like that. Um, Verse 4 says that no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was the first high priest. It's kind of like a nickname. You can't just say, like, hey, I'm A-Dog now. Like, I'm telling everyone to call me A-Dog, you know? Like, it just never works. Just people don't pick up on that. Um, So like the earthly high priest, it wasn't a role that that person decided for themselves. You're still laughing about the A-Dog thing? I know, it was really corny. Um, (laughs) Please don't call me that. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so like the earthly high priest, it wasn't a role that they could give for themselves. Jesus was appointed by God. But in verse 5, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, saying that Jesus is not just a high priest, but he's appointed to this office of a high priest as a son. Not just any son, but God's son. This was a position given to Jesus by God, which communicated that Jesus is the ultimate mediator between a sinful humanity and a holy God. And in chapter 5, verse 6 of Hebrews, the author quotes another Old Testament passage. He quotes Psalm 110, verse 4, which says, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we don't know too much about Melchizedek. He's a guy who shows up briefly in Genesis chapter 14. But the two phrases that are given to describe Melchizedek in Genesis are, one, the king of Salem, which could also be called the king of peace. And then secondly, that Melchizedek is the priest of the most high God. So Melchizedek is both a priest and a king. Sound like anyone you know? Yeah, Jesus. Jesus is both a priest and a king. And so Not much is known about this guy, Melchizedek, but there seems to have been some expectation for the Hebrew people that because of what they heard back in Genesis and in the Psalms, that one day a better high priest would come and he would resemble Melchizedek. And so the author of Hebrews is explaining that Jesus does not come from the line of Aaron, but instead from the line of Melchizedek. You see, those in the line of Aaron, their high priestlyhood would have ended at their death. But Jesus, his reign is forever because he'll never die. He already proved his power over death and his resurrection. So Jesus is a better high priest who sympathizes with us, who made a single sacrifice, and whose reign is forever. But there's more. Our fourth reason why Jesus is qualified to be the better high priest is because Jesus is seated on the throne of grace. Let's look back at chapter 4 of Hebrews in verse 16. It says, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, when I think of a throne, I think of a king who sits there, and he's distant, and words such as power and justice come to mind. So I think we fear that this is what God's throne is like. We're sure that he'll cast us out because of our weaknesses and sin. But this throne that's described here, it's different. It's a throne of grace. And when you approach it, you will not receive punishment because Jesus took that punishment. And there's no condemnation for you. Instead, you receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. So you might be asking, what does it look like to not draw near to this throne? I mean, how do I know if I'm not drawing near to this throne? Like, what does it actually look like in my, mind, in my life? So one way to determine this is to look at your life and see where you are trying to manage your own sin rather than drawing near to Jesus. Author Ruthie Delk, in her book, Craving Grace, has helped me recognize some of the ways in which I do this. So one way that I try to manage my sin instead of approaching the throne of grace is I blame others for my sins. An example for me would be, if this car wasn't driving so slowly as I'm running late to campus, I wouldn't have gotten angry and lashed out. Another way is minimizing my sin. Um, you know, my sin isn't that bad as, I, as long as I can compare it to someone or something else that's worse. Maybe, um, all right, so I know it's not okay to gossip about that girl, but it's nothing compared to the immodest outfit she was wearing last, last week. Um, or maybe it's beating yourself up about your sin or just deciding that you will try it harder next time or denying that you have sin at all. Or maybe it's getting really defensive about your sin. Maybe when someone comes and approaches you um, to call you out on that in a loving way. You see, you may not realize you're hiding from God, but if you truly knew the loving and merciful high priest that you have, you would draw near to him, and you wouldn't try to manage your sin. You would run to him just like I did when I realized that Santa Claus was actually my grandfather. And if you don't yet have a personal relationship with God, you can approach that throne of grace now. Fill out a blue card. We'd love to talk with you sometime if you have more questions about that. The only way to God is through Jesus, a better high priest. You know, and it would be a shame if you left here tonight and didn't continue thinking about these things. And so I would love for you to pull out your phone right now and take a picture of the questions that I have behind me. Go ahead, whip them out, take a pic. I'd love for you to take these questions 
and think about them in the week to come. Examine your heart. See in what ways are you not boldly approaching Jesus and his throne of grace. And so to end our time tonight, I want us to look at one last quote. Uh, This is by pastor and author Tim Keller, and this has been really helpful to me as I understand this concept of drawing near to the throne of grace, because it is a difficult thing to do, but not impossible because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the quote. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. God loves it when his children draw near to him. And if you are trusting in Jesus as a better high priest who sympathizes with us, who made one single sacrifice, who is the eternal son, and who sits on a throne of grace, you have this kind of access to God always. Let us confidently approach his throne of grace today, for we will surely find mercy and grace in our time of need. Let's pray. God, it's incredible. It is so incredible that you make a way for sinful people to know you. Lord, I pray that in the week to come, we would examine our hearts, see Lord, our sin, would we not sit in that? Regardless of how long we've been hiding from you, would we come, would we draw near to you? Would we repent of those sins, turn away, and cling to your son, Jesus? So thank you for him. You are so sweet and kind to us. We thank you for your grace. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.